0: Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. We're in a car, my car, in the parking lot outside Ohio Stadium. It's 11:30 on Saturday night, and the Ohio State Buckeyes beat the Penn State Nittany Lions, and we still sort of don't really understand how. Tim Bielick, Bill Anderson, I'm Doug Lee Maurice, your Cleveland.com coverage team. This is our post game podcast. You can catch us every Wednesday at Buckeye Talk. Uh, make sure you're subscribed on iTunes and all the other fine apps for podcasts. We have questions. Well, you had questions. We have answers. Um, but let's just get some – let's just vibe a little bit. Just, just Let's just feel the vibes. Just feel the vibes of a big win. Crazy stuff going on. Hey, it was a big win. Uh, Tim Bielek, what are you vibing on right now as we sit here in my car at 1130 at night? It is amazing the difference
2: the Ohio State offense, the journey it's gone through in the last two months, from the loss against Oklahoma where they really couldn't do anything to this game, the game that was going to make or break the season at this point, they come out and they get 529 yards of total offense and really keep the team afloat when things were not going well in the first half, when the special teams and defensive penalties let them down. They kept things afloat. And then when the rest of the team got going, they got on that offense's back
1: in a way that I don't know if we would have predicted two months ago. Landis, what you vibing on? I'm vibing on a question, somebody. Like, uh, it's it's just making me think back to the first half a little bit. I think Ohio State like should have won this game by 20. And the fact that they played so poorly in the first half and still pulled it out like made it exciting. But I also think like Ohio State fans should be excited about the fact that if Ohio State didn't shoot itself in the foot in the first half, they would have blown blown Penn State off the field. I think. Thinking back to some of the things they were doing in the first half, play calling wise, and then penalties, obviously. Um. Yeah,
0: I'm vibing on all that stuff too. Listen, I s- continue to be amazed by the transformation of JT Barrett during a game when he's sort of like, not turn it over, run the offense, JT Barrett. And then when stuff gets real, he did you see the way that he like steps into a throw and gets his whole body behind a throw yeah. and rips it in a window? And I guess I understand it. It's like, JT, why don't you step into a throw and rip it in a window for like an eight-yard gain in the middle of the first quarter? And he's like, well, why would I do that when I can just like hand it to J.K. Dobbins and he can get eight yards the easy way. So I get it, but it's like he's a different person, isn't it? Like,
1: like I in gen- like you're talking fourth quarter, JT, or in general, JT?
0: No, like the, the – and we've talked about this a million times over the years. Fourth quarter or two-minute drill or end of the half or – when you have to score and hesitating and not taking a risk is not an option. What the the when-you-need-it JT, the rip-it JT, that fourth quarter, they needed it the whole fourth quarter. He couldn't decide, well, I'm not sure if the guy's open, maybe. He had to throw it. The transformation from the usual JT to that JT, I find, every time it happens, I find it
1: astonishing. I think he was that the whole game, and I'll be curious if you go back to watch it and watch the first half. If you think the same thing, I wrote a story about JT after the game, who went full hot take mode and said he's a Heisman Trophy front runner, which we'll get to. Go and look. Like I know, like in the first half, he wasn't completing some of those throws. I don't think it was on him. I think it was on the play calling. He missed Johnny Dixon on like a bubble and go where Dixon was wide open and JT saw him late and the ball got there late. It was incomplete. Similar play. He didn't see Marcus Ball and he didn't throw it. I think he did see him and he didn't throw it. Well, whatever. Anyway. I mean, he was going to – like there was pressure. And that's fine. If that's if One throw I don't think means that JT still wasn't in, in that mode all game. He stepped up in the pocket and threw a ball to Marcus Ball and the Marcus Ball dropped. He stepped up in the pocket and threw a ball to K.J. Hill. The K.J. Hill dropped. Those would have been two big completions. The lateral throws, the bubbles – I think it was a lot less checkdown, JT, and more Kevin Wilson calling bubble screens. Watch the outside receivers; they're all blocking. They're not out in the route; they're blocking for the bubble screen. And Penn State blew it up. It was poorly executed by the entire offense. I think JT was wanted to rip it all game, and then it finally all came together late.
0: No, I don't think those aren't checkdowns. Those bubble screens aren't checkdowns. They're RPOs sometimes, right? That it's a yeah. he can run it or he can throw it, and the receivers are out there blocking because. It's either going to be thrown to them or JT's going to keep it and run it, right? But yeah. I, I understand. I don't think he was checking it down, but I just feel like he throws it with more zing sometimes. I don't know. Are you telling me to go. You tell me to no, shut no. up and watch
1: the tape. No, no, I don't. I don't disagree with you. I just think there might be people who watch that game, and while they want to be excited about JT, will will think on the first half and think, well, well, that's the same way JT's played in all these big games, and I would disagree with that.
0: I will say, in the first three quarters, he threw for 158 yards. In the fourth quarter, he threw for 170. So I do, yes, Ball had a killer drop. K.J. Hill had a killer drop. So, yeah, that's certainly part of it. And all those guys caught all those passes. Six different guys caught passes in the fourth quarter, those 13 throws. So I get that, but I also just feel like he saves it for when he he does something different. And I I guess it's completely logical, Yeah. right? It's It's like, okay, well... I don't have to take a risk and rip it because, okay, if I don't complete this throw, it'll just be second down. But in the fourth quarter cycle, if I don't complete this throw, we're going
1: to lose. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just not wanting to put yourself in a, in a position where you're putting yourself in a hole early because you want to rip a ball and it gets picked off and returned for a time. Like, you want to make sure that you're in striking distance late if the game's going to be that way, and it was. And I mean, I guess it worked out. I, I don't know. I think... There's nothing wrong with you know scoring 28 points on Penn State in the first half either, so
0: no, I agree with that. So, um, yeah, we want to get to questions. We want to get to questions, um, but I someone's asked me if all right. There's two things I want to say that are not questions that are just us ranting. Um, one is. There is some idea afoot of like, oh, all the haters on JT, and if anybody ever wanted to bench him, take that. Somebody tweeted me and was like, are you eating crow tonight? It was like a good tweet about eating crow. What are we eating tonight? (laughs) I hope wings. Crows have wings. I would eat a crow wing if you put buffalo sauce on it. Um, So... He was like, oh, are you, he's like speaking of, he was like, he's a podcast listener. And he was like, oh, speaking of food talk, are you eating some crow? And I was like, that's a pretty solid Buckeye talk (laughs) podcast tweet. But I was like, what am I eating crow about? And he was like, didn't you want to bench JT for Haskins? And I was like, yeah, that was like two months ago. But I do not apologize for that. So I, like the idea of JT showed the haters. I got to tell you, man, this is not how JT was always playing. So I understand there are a million things that go into that. There are play calling and receiver and pass protection issues that go into that. But I do not apologize for anything I ever said about JT Barrett because the whole point is he got better. He was not secretly. He wasn't secretly just like not being as good just to throw us off the scent and to see if we believed in him or not. He wasn't as good. He wouldn't have done this. So I know he's won a lot of big games. That's the one thing I do disagree with, and it's it's hard. People forget big game wins, and then they only remember big game losses, and they think, oh, he hasn't won a big game. And it's like, do you remember the Michigan game in double overtime last year when they had the crazy comeback? Do you remember the Wisconsin game on the road? Do you remember Penn State 2014? Like, come on, don't act like he's never won anything just because he lost – and looked bad against Oklahoma and Clemson. So let's not play that game. Let's not play the JT Barrett never wins big games game. But also, I'm not playing the suck on it haters game <laughs> when he was not playing well. So are you guys playing that game? Or 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 if I'm a hater, is this a take that moment? Well, I mean, the JT we've seen, we
2: saw Saturday not even close to the JT we saw against Oklahoma. And there's a play that illustrates it perfectly. I think it was, it was in the fourth quarter. I can't remember exactly when this was. He throws a dart that I swear for about 10 seconds, Christian Campbell, Penn State intercepted it, but it turned out being an Austin Mack catch.
1: Yeah, I thought he picked that off too. I was like, all right, yeah.
2: game's over. And then you look at it, it misses him by about the length of a hand into the hands of Austin Mack. And you're thinking, a month ago, JT Bear wouldn't even even thought to attempt that pass. Now there's no conscience. And somehow he's doing this, and we could we'll discuss Heisman later, He's doing this with the aggressive throws, and he still has just one interception this season.
0: Yeah, but I still think... Do you think he has... He has. A, I think he still has like a first-half conscience. Would he have tried... Here's my question. That throw you're talking about, when like everybody thought it was picked, right? Mm-hmm. Would he have tried that throw in the second quarter tonight in this game against Penn State? Would he have even tried that throw in the second quarter, yes or no? No. No, probably not. Okay, so that's sort of my point. Now... I want him to try that throw because I think if you get picked there, I mean, if you get picked in the situation that actually happened, it would have been the end of the world. In the second quarter, if you get picked there, it's not the end of the world. But I think making those throws makes this a better offense. That's sort of my point about Rip at JT. Mm-hmm. And I said he was the rippiest Rip at JT you've ever seen. By the way, side tangent, you know who's really a dude now, I think? Austin Mack. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. he made some really good, big catches today. Yeah, He quietly
2: had a good game. You talk about JT Barrett, I mean... Quietly, awesome max, six catches, 90 yards. I looked down on the stat sheet and had to like, actually do a double-tick because I didn't even realize he had 90 yards, if you think
0: about it in the context of the game. He had three catches in the fourth quarter, and I noticed this, and we all talked about it the other week. And by the way, all I'm saying, all I'm saying as Doug, this is me, Doug, this is what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, speaking right into the phone, when we talked the other week about who is the best receiver on the team, some people said Ben Victor. Was me. That was me. I said Austin Mack. When they were in the red zone tonight, I noticed it on two drives. Ben Victor wasn't in the game. Because Ben Victor and Austin Mack share a spot. They were playing Austin Mack. They the the ball that People were, compl- to K.J. Hill, that was right on the side, the corner of the end zone, that he was out of bounds when he caught it, but I think people might have thought there was like a face mask, face mask penalty or something on that. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is like a ball that, and I know it was out of the slots, but but, but that's the type of ball that you want to throw to Ben Victor, right? Yeah. He wasn't in the game. So it's like, okay, why, why isn't Ben Victor in the game in the red zone? Well, it's because Austin Mack's playing.
1: Their two best receivers are Austin Mack and K.J. Hill, and I don't think it's close. Paris Campbell, and Johnny,
0: Johnny around maybe? Yeah, he's
1: just been yeah inconsistent. Is probably the wrong label. I think it's just like they're not they don't throw him the ball consistently. But yeah, he's when he gets it, he does something with it usually. But it's it's Mac and Hill and Dixon and I don't at this point I almost don't even label Campbell a receiver. He's like a running back, but he gets his carries five yards up the field instead of five yards in the backfield. And by the
0: way, I wish I tried to ask about Paris Campbell. Um, there's some indication. I don't I don't know. He was in the locker room, he was on the sideline. We never got a report from Ohio State. When you get Urban Meyer after the game, you kind of want to focus on you just won 39-38. Yeah. So like I still don't have a firm grasp. Oh, we gotta ask, we'll talk about J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber in a second. So I wish we could tell you more about Paris Campbell, but it's there seemed to be the radio reported during the game that he was being evaluated for an injury, and that's why we didn't see him after that. So I said there's two things I want to talk about. Turns out there's three. Someone else, one of the Penn State writers, pointed this out to me. When J.K. Dobbins didn't play at all in the second quarter, he said, yeah, they were rotating. Weber played in the—Dobbins in Dobbins played in the first and third, and Weber played in the second and fourth.
1: Yeah, I guess that, I guess that's true. I asked Kevin Wilson why they went away from Dobbins when, like, they—Dobbins, like, broke off a 30-yard run, and then they didn't put him back in the game for a really long time. Cause, and I said, was he hurt? And he said, no, it was, it was that. Like, it was just the rotation, so— that uh, I didn't realize it was quarter by quarter though.
0: I would just like to say, in conclusion, that is insane.
1: Yeah, I don't. I, I get it. I mean, I don't get it, but I understand what, where they're coming from. J.K. Dobbins is so much better than Mike Weber, man. You got to give that bug guy twenty carries a game.
0: But it, it, so in the past, they've gone series by series. If they're going quarter by quarter, it was like there were like three drives there in the second quarter where he wasn't in the game. Yeah. And I was looking at him. I assumed he was hurt. He was standing. 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage in a way that clearly made it obvious, if you were looking at him, that he's not getting ready to go in the game. Because the receivers that are rotating were up at the line of scrimmage, ready, okay, I might go in the next play, I might go in the next play. J.K. Dobbins was not acting like a person who was about to go in the next play, because I guess they said, oh, it's not your quarter. Which... I mean, I get series by series, I guess, but, like, if you're going quarter by quarter, there's sometimes you might have, like, four drives in one quarter and, like, a drive and a half in the next quarter. And it's like, oh, well, our best player didn't get in the game. It wasn't his quarter. That's insane to me.
1: Weber only had seven carries. Seven carries for 21 yards, and Dobbins had uh, 13 carries for 88 yards. JT had 17 carries.
0: I want a little more Dobbins. Don't you want some more Dobbins? I want some more Dobbins, yeah. You want some more Dobbins, Tim? Average 6.8 yards a
1: carry, absolutely. You know what I want to do? And maybe I'll, I'll, do this, I'll do this rewatch style. I'm not going to promise there's a post because it might not actually prove to be the case. I want to see how many times JT kept with Dobbles on the field and how many times JK kept, or JT kept with Weber on the field and the difference in his rushing yards, depending on which running backs back there.
0: You should work at 538. That's some hardcore data analysis. <laughs> uh, okay, here's my last question. I told people I might read part of my column that will never be, see the light of day mm-hmm. uh, on the podcast, but I don't have my computer and my car and my fogged-up car. Here's, here's what I was writing... If Ohio State had lost, the basic points were Urban Meyer blew it out, coached, had the bye week, couldn't fix the kickoff coverage. Uh, It like the offense, the revamped offense that we saw, whatever, they're not calling that. Okay. So that was a lie. Um, And oh, by the way, Ohio State is now out of the playoff race. The earliest in Urban's career to November with no playoff talk, which has never happened in the first five years here. This is year six. Um, Penn State now just beat you two years in a row. And are you even sure you're the best program in your division anymore? And this was going to create a situation where um, Ohio State fans were going to have a month of games that had no impact on the national title race. To think about the state of the Ohio State program. And it only would have been eight losses for Urban Meyer. But if they would have lost to Penn State, especially while outplaying them. Because it's like, hey, guess what? Ohio State has better players. Guess what? They're losing. Why? Because they're, doing, they're making stupid mistakes and they have a gigantic glaring flaw in special teams where Urban Meyer is a special teams coach. Ohio State is like established and Ohio State is what it is. I feel like this was a program-changing win for Ohio State because, to me, that was the reality. And I'm not – it's like JT Barrett's legacy and all that stuff. That's like about one person. This is about the state of the program. Mm -hmm. If Penn State finds a way to win in Ohio Stadium in this game, Penn State passes Ohio State. Yeah. And you have a month to think about what is the deal, and here's the reality. Penn State passed you. And the last three great opponents Ohio State played, Penn State, Oklahoma, Clemson, you lost to all of them. That's what Ohio State was looking at. Am I crazy?
1: No, I, I wrote a story um, that went up on Friday about Urban Meyer and James Franklin and like program building and just how close Penn State was to being on Ohio State's level. And as I was writing it, I thought it, it, I thought it didn't hinge on this game. I thought this was just going to be the next step in Penn State's progression to being a perennial Big Ten slash college football playoff contender, and then as the game was happening, I felt to myself I, like I was wrong. That I, I, for, I don't know, I don't know why, but for, for some reason, coming into this game, I didn't really realize just how important it was for Ohio State's program traje- tra- tra- trajectory. Um, but now, yeah, I agree with you. Having sat there and watched that game, having like felt the vibe in the stadium a little bit. Um, this would have been bad. This would have been really bad. Tim, are we overstating it or how how big was this? I don't think you can
2: overstate it enough. I mean, this is a win that single-handedly keeps Ohio State kind of where it's been the last few years as far as like the flagship program of the Big 10. And I mean, again, the loss eliminates them from the playoffs. You have all this discussion, you have all this problems, and you have a month essentially of a football team with basically nothing to play for anymore. Now, then you would have questions about complacency within the program. How do you keep the players motivated for four more weeks knowing you don't have a shot at the Big Ten title, knowing you don't have a shot at the playoff? It's definitely season-defining because not only does it put you back in the driver's seat in the Big Ten, you get a giant playoff resume stamp with this win. I mean, it's amazing when you think of it that all this stemmed just off one block punt that I wrote about it. That one block punch just led into this massive spiral that led into what we saw at Ohio State. And a little fun fact, I looked on the ESPN box score. At one point, Penn State had a
1: 98% win probability. 98%. I think that's uh, run by 538, and we know how wrong they can be sometimes. Wow, I just said you should work for 538.
0: Now you're ripping your future employer. I'm not (laughs) smart enough to work there. It's fine. So, uh, by the way, and I'm not a punt protection expert. Some people think I am, but I don't claim I th- to be. I thought you were. Yeah.
1: Really? Um, Denzel Ward, fastest guy on the team, unblocked. He got there so fast. It's like, I know, like, you, you, you got to block him. Like, what the hell are you doing over Penn State? He, it was unbelievable how fast he got through the punter.
0: It's like, uh, how'd that guy get there so fast? It's like, he's the fastest guy on the team. It's like, why didn't someone tell us that? We would have blocked him. <laughs> it's on the board. We tweeted the board. Damon Webb's dad tweeted the board and the woody of the, what the 40 times are. And I wrote a story about it. We could have we should, could have told James Franklin, and that t- guy runs like a four two five. James Franklin knew that. He reads everything. You think he does? Urban, yeah. Urban was making a strong point afterward, like, I don't read anything.
1: Urban doesn't read anything, and James Franklin reads everything.
0: Do you think he read your stories this week? James Franklin, click on Cleveland.com? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm sure. Thank you, James. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get some questions. Who's got questions lined up? Wait, we do, got, you
1: wanna, do you want to hammer me for my Heisman take, or do you want to do that at the end?
0: Oh, your hot, hot, hot Heisman take? Yeah. Well, okay, let's do it. People care about that. You already wrote it, so we can't put Heisman in the headline of this post. <laughs> so um, we will talk about it, though. Part of the point... And I didn't read your thing yet. I apologize. It's fine. I'll probably read it. It's just,
1: I don't, just click on it. That's all I care about.
0: Who else is going to win it? Right? You, part but, of your yeah. point is that the field it's, is, is kind of a weird field. So give us... The little breakdown of, because it's not just that J.T. Barrett had a good game and a good fourth quarter against Penn State. You know, Troy Smith was a runaway winner in 2006, because Adrian Peterson broke his collarbone and there was nobody else. You know, so like the field matters. So I'm sure that's part of your hot, hot, hot take on J.T. the Heisman leader.
1: Yeah, like in the story, I, I actually didn't get too much into it because I feel like the greater point is that J.T. Barrett can play well in a big game. And this just kind of put him on that pedestal. And I will get into the Heisman breakdown, I think, a little more this week. But coming into this week, it was Barkley, Saquon Barkley, Baker Mayfield, and Bryce Love, the running back at Stanford. And Saquon Barkley, I think, had a sizable lead in that race. Baker Mayfield was just a guy who had buzz coming in, has been playing pretty okay this year, had a really good game here in Ohio Stadium. So he was in the mix. Bryce Love uh, was in a nationally televised game. On, his team was in a nationally televised game on Thursday night against Oregon State. He did not play. And I know Oregon State stinks. I thought that was a big moment for him, for people to realize that he like exists. Um, he's really good. I don't know what his deal is injury-wise. But I also think who you play for, what your team is doing matters. And it doesn't always matter. Like Louisville, Lamar Jackson won it last year, and Louisville was just fine. Um, there's no competition. And on this field, when everyone was watching, JT Barrett played better than Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley had a 36 yard run and then uh, like averaged almost zero yards per carry on those other twenty-one carries. Had his kickoff return for a touchdown and then kind of disappeared a little bit. And JT played the best game he's ever played against the number two team in the country. Played a great fourth quarter on national television. Tim Bielick, if you're a Heisman voter, who are you voting for right now? Um this may be
2: <coughs> just something based on what we've seen with our eyes. It's hard not to think. Um
0: I'm joking. <coughs> you ever choke on your own spit sometimes? Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. Or the or the time when water you drink water and it goes down the wrong pipe. I wish I had
0: water. I was just my own saliva. Alright,
2: continue. Um JT right now I think I'd almost put him a slight edge at one and I had the thought going in that if Penn State wins and Berkeley looks good, the race would have been over. Like you would have called the race before November if Penn State plays well and it's not just that JT play amazingly well. I mean He completed almost 85%
1: of his passes against the number two team in the country. His completion percentage is almost 70. It's like I think it's 69.2. He's got 30 total touchdowns and one interception. I thought he was not spectacular enough when we had this debate a couple weeks ago.
0: Mm -hmm. And uh, you were like, oh, yeah, he definitely could get in the Heisman race. And I was like, shut up, Landis. (laughs) I think Doug DeLillo asked us that question, and, and he immediately tweeted a new question that was basically like, hey, Doug, you idiot, meaning me, um, is he a Heisman? So like a bunch of our questions are, are Heisman related. So we'll read your names if we can later. So we know a lot of you are wondering about this. I thought he wasn't spectacular enough. He wasn't, uh, like a Terrell Pryor or a Braxton Miller or even Troy. I mean, Troy would have this, when you like watch Troy's Heisman film, it included like a turn your back to the line of scrimmage, scramble away, throw a deep ball thing. So it was like, well, what? It's like, okay, you want to tell me that JT Bear's going to win the Heisman? What are they going to put on his highlight film? Like what are they going to show? They're going to show like oh, a seven-yard quarterback draw. J.T. Barrett, Ohio State empty set, third and six. J.T. Barrett back to pass. No, it's a quarterback draw. Eight-yard <laughs> gain for J.T. Barrett,
1: and that's going to Heisman. That's the Heisman ceremony. I think I think he's been a pretty uh, dynamic. Uh, dyna- I'll use the word dynamic runner the last few weeks. I thought he ran the ball ran the ball really well today. And he's throwing like yeah, it'll be a tight window throws. A throw that Christian Campbell almost picked off is gonna be the first play in line. What's but, but
0: now he has some. So like that was a yeah. that was like a perfect scenario for him of like say Ohio State hadn't made eight needless mistakes and sabotaged its own chance at victory. <laughs> and if Ohio State had just won like what was the actual score? Thirty nine, thirty eight. Yeah. Say Ohio State just won like they would have had to score a lot of points though, because Penn State scored a lot of points. Anyway, let's just say they won kind of a good, solid, normal game, and JT is good and normal and solid. He's not—he's not the same Heisman contender. He's a Heisman no. contender because that fourth quarter, that whole fourth quarter, is a highlight. It's like, oh, what's his highlight film? It's like just put that quarter on, mm-hmm. thirteen for thirteen, baby. That's your highlight film. So, this worked out for him in terms of individual accolades about as well. As it could have, because I think every college football person in the country right now is talking about JT Barrett, and I think a decent portion of them are saying something like, Wow,
1: I didn't know JT Barrett had that in him. I got a text from my brother in Philadelphia who's not an Ohio State fan who said something to that effect. Like, he. He took notice, and I think a lot of people who were casual college football fans took notice of JT Barrett.
0: And there are a lot of casual college football fans who are Heisman voters because they had like 950 yeah. people vote, and half of them are retired and don't even watch football anymore and send their ballot in, in August. So that is important for those kind of people. Um, so I had said, no, he's not going to do that because I didn't anticipate that. I didn't anticipate a spectacular 15-minute session I'm doing
1: it again. <laughs> that would so professional blow
0: people away. I think the rawness of the podcast
1: is partly what people like. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a certain charm that comes with fucking. <coughs> this is like real life right here, and
0: it's kinda, just three dudes in a parking lot.
1: That's real. That's as real just as it gets. Steaming up a car, making people outside wondering what the hell's going on. Today. After about 27 minutes,
0: like the cops, like someone walked by and said, "Excuse me, officer." There are three men in a steamed-up car over there, yeah. and the cop's like, oh, they're just doing Buckeye talk. I can tell. <laughs> All right, what were you
2: saying, uh, Billick? Well, I don't mean to get off topic, and I know we're going to get to questions soon. Sam Hubbard had an interesting quote that I'm going to put in my notes, quotes, and nuggets that you can read on cleveland.com on Sunday. He basically that's said to, to the effect of, we've been waiting for the offense to finally have a big game in a big game. He said that? Yeah, he said that. He's like, we've wanted, waited a little while for that to happen, and it finally happened. I mean, happened. It's, it's obvious and true, but I'm surprised he said it. And it's interesting because he's, he said it, and we know that the offense was basically the reason this game was, they were still in at halftime, and we had a video early in the season saying, like, is Ohio State's offense so good that the defense is going to let it down? And I was yeah. thinking that while you know the third quarter was going on, was like, is the defense and the special teams going to squander what is probably Ohio State's best offensive performance versus a quality
0: opponent in a long time. All right, get ready on questions. Who's got questions? I'm going to ask one more thing before we get to questions. Here are my uh, two choices for completely revamping the kickoff unit. Here are your two choices. That's the first question. Okay. (laughs) All right, we're getting to questions. Yeah, we're taking up all your questions. It's like, oh, what are people talking about? They asked us about JT Baird. We didn't use a question. And they want to know about kickoffs. Right, ask
1: a question from a person. The question is from Jim Baird at J underscore Baird. What can OSU do to shore up poor kickoff coverage?
0: All right, I have two
1: radical options.
0: I'm not sure they'll go to the radical option, but the non-radical options have not worked so far. Your choice is among these two radical options, and that's it. No, there's three radical options. Radical option number one. Make Drew Crispin the kicker and pound that thing through the end zone. Does
1: he not have the
0: strongest leg? He's the punter.
1: I mean, I give him a shot. I don't know that for a fact, but I give him a shot. I
0: think he does. I think he has the strongest leg on the roster. Drew Crispin, the punter, kicking the ball through the end zone every time. That's radical option number one. Radical option number two is some combination of pooching and kicking it out of bounds the rest of the year. Okay? Mm -hmm. Radical option number three is is basically filling your kickoff coverage unit with Denzel Ward, Jerome Baker, and a bunch of dudes like that. Because every Jordan Fuller, Damon Webb, every linebacker and secondary member and receiver who currently plays for Ohio State got there by doing it through special teams. You know who's a good special teams player? Terry McLaurin. Do you ideally want Terry McLaurin running down and covering kicks? No, you don't. But it's better than what this has been. So if those are your three radical options, Chrisman, Pooch slash out-of-bounds, basically playing starters on kick coverage. Which would you pick, Tim?
2: I'd pick number one because at this point, why not? You don't – I don't – I mean, we. I wondered if Nuremberg and Blake Hobby will even have that kind of leg to kick the ball deep and to get it in the end zone. So I think why not give Drew Chrisman a shot? I don't think that's going to happen. So if number one's not an option, and I don't think number one's going to be an option, just pooch it every time. I mean – if you, if your defense, defensive front is good as it is, you know, starting drives, like, at the 30-yard line
1: is, you know, there's a lot worse options than that. If Drew Crispin can kick the ball out of the end zone and he hasn't done it yet, that is a colossal misstep on par with Urban Meyer's mismanaging of a 2015 quarterback situation. Okay, it's not that bad. But if we pretty, like, if Drew Crispin can actually do that and they haven't done it yet, that would be absurd. So if he can do it, do it, obviously. Do it. Kick it out of the end zone. Don't worry about coming about 25 every time. I don't like the pooch. I think a lot of stuff can go wrong in the pooch. It's like their kick, their like desired kickoff is kind of a pooch. It's just a pooch that pins you into the corner a little farther down the field than a normal pooch kick would. Um, so kick it out of the end zone is option one. Play uh, good, better football players on the kickoff team is option two And I would, for me, and I would not pooch it all the time.
0: I don't think you can pooch your way to the playoff. I think that's a bad... Look, you know what was awful? And now I'm trying to think in my head if this even happened. So they go up 39-38, they kick off, pooch it, and Penn State took over at like the 40 yard line.
1: Yeah, I think that like that was a squib, like it's a hard, hard squib oh, down it the, the middle. Okay, I wasn't <laughs> looking, I was writing. But I, I think I think the intent was to get that to the second level of the kick coverage and it like just hit a guy in the shins. Okay, but the point is, you're up by one with a minute and a half left, and your kickoff
0: coverage is so Fatakta, that you are doing some wacko thing that ends up with the opposition getting the ball at the 40. They needed to go 30 yards to get in field goal range. It's astonishingly dysfunctional, their kickoff coverage. Urban Meyer literally said on his own at the beginning of the postgame news conference, Oh, God, that was awful. I'm not going to talk about the kickoff coverage. And then I asked him about the kickoff coverage, and he said JT Barrett played a good game. Like, he would (laughs) not talk about it. I even tried to couch it in like, well, you guys made an adjustment, blah, blah, blah. It's awful. Okay, questions. Go. More questions.
2: All right. Um, we're actually going to get into the P word. That's playoffs, not punt playoffs. And I have a good oh, question from, from Bred Waldman. He says, college football playoff rankings come out Tuesday. One and two are most likely Alabama and Georgia. How does three through five shake out?
0: Landis, you vote for stuff. You tell us.
1: Three through five, I think, will be uh, Notre Dame at three, Ohio State at f- <pat Noron seize water> No, maybe not. Notre Dame at three. Yeah, I'll say Notre Dame at three, Ohio State at four, and I don't know, pick a team at five. I have no idea. Clemson, maybe. You think, but where's Oklahoma? I don't know. Oklahoma could be five.
0: But you think Oklahoma, you think the committee, and nobody cares about UAP voters anymore, Landis. <clears throat> Uh, you think the committee will have Ohio State ahead of Oklahoma?
1: I don't feel confident in that, but yeah, I'll say that. I, I I don't know. I don't want to set people up for disappointment. I suppose. I think. Yeah, maybe it's more likely Oklahoma would be at. Okay. Notre Dame three, Oklahoma four, Ohio State five.
0: Why is Notre Dame definitely ahead of Ohio State?
1: Notre Dame has destroyed everyone it's played, and its losses is by one point to Georgia. Well, that's a good. That's a good answer. Yeah. Tim, where do you think they'll be?
2: Um, I'm. Gonna flip four and five. I say Notre Dame three, Ohio State four, Oklahoma five. And I think the reason I would put Ohio State over Oklahoma is the ultimate question you their playoff committee is gonna ask. They're gonna sit themselves down and be like, Okay, right
1: now, if Ohio State played Oklahoma tomorrow They don't do it that way. They don't do it that way. Okay, well, I'm great. just saying like I don't mean to cut you off and be rude like they don't they don't put it together that way. How you're playing matters, they don't get in the hypothetical matchups. Oklahoma beat Ohio State and that data point is still important. Right and Oklahoma also lost at home to Iowa State. Iowa State is kicking the crap out of everybody and just beat TCU. That's not a bad loss. You know what? If Iowa State had not lost to Iowa,
0: was that an overtime? The Iowa State Iowa game. I don't remember. It was like by a point. Yeah, they. I think there was a walk off touchdown
2: in double overtime. I because I remember listening to it on my radio as I was driving down here for the
0: Oklahoma game. So I don't. Who's Ohio, Who's Iowa State's other loss? Uh, Texas, seventeen to seven. If they had beaten Iowa in that game, Iowa State would be like fifth.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're the best team in the Big Twelve. It's crazy. It's crazy. Okay, what a world we live in. When they, 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 yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, I just keep telling people that if Ohio State wins out, they're in, and I think that that's true. Like you can, we can play the game. Like if you want to play the scenario of Alabama and Georgia go to the Big Ten, go to the SEC championship game undefeated. Georgia wins, which leaves undefeated Georgia and one loss Alabama. Notre Dame runs the table. And Oklahoma doesn't lose, and you have those four teams, and Ohio State has to deal with them. I guess, I guess that's possible. I don't think that's hundred percent that Ohio State, as the Big Ten champ, having beaten Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game, would not get in ahead of that. They're going to go to SEC, a Big Twelve, um, and Notre Dame. Or if you have like my undefeated Miami out of the ACC, like it's it's possible, but I also think that one loss Ohio State is going to be strong. That's going to be a strong resume because um, I think Penn State's still good and is respected, and I think Michigan State is decent and respected, and I think Wisconsin's going to be undefeated when Ohio State plays them for the Big Ten Championship. So, of course, Ohio State might lose, but we're assuming... We're talking about a world where Ohio State wins out, because there's no point in talking about it otherwise. Um, I think they're in. And other people lose. People lose along the way. So I don't want to, like, spend a ton of time playing the game of if if this team loses and that team loses and this and that and the other thing, because teams lose... In this scenario, we are assuming Ohio State wins out. We know they might not. And if they don't win out, they're not going to make it. So it's like we're assuming, oh, well, why do you you assume Ohio State's going to win out and these other teams aren't? It's like, well, because if we don't assume Ohio State wins out, then
1: we'll just shut up. And the reality is teams lose. Oklahoma's last four games are at Oklahoma State, home against TCU, at Kansas, home against West Virginia. That's a really tough end of the schedule.
2: And then the Big 12 title game if they went out mm-hmm. as well. You're, so they're going to have to probably play Oklahoma State or TCU again. Or Iowa State.
0: So it's one of those things, though, it's like, what do you want? Like, if you're an Ohio State fan, like, okay, that's Oklahoma has a tough schedule. It's going to be tough to get through. But it's tough enough that it, if they get through it,
1: then it looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, I, I I agree with everything you said. I think it, it, if you asked me to guess right now that scenario what would happen, I would probably say Ohio State gets in, but it's not cut and dry. <laughs> but it's like... I just think a one lost
0: Big Ten champ, the Big Ten is respected. They're in good shape. All right, let's talk about other stuff besides playoff. Who you got? What you got?
2: Um,
1: Trying to find a good one here. Um, I have one. This is from Greg Searing. Sorry if I pronounced your name wrong. If Ohio State plays like it played in the fourth quarter, can it beat anyone in the country? You were going to say something crazy at the end of one of the videos we shot. I want to know what it was. Say it now on Buckeye Talk for the people.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that looked like a national championship team. Yeah. In the fourth quarter. I think the defense looked like it much of the game. I mean, like, the defense shutting down Saquon Barkley. Like, the defense shutting down the Heisman Trophy favorite running back is, like, the kind of thing that, like, the Alabama defense does. Mm -hmm. And then that defense, that defensive line, that defense combined with a slinging, zinging, confident quarterback, a variety of pass catchers, and a two-headed running back... That's it. That's all of it. So, yeah, like eh, like the stuff early in the year, everything was like, can it beat Bama? Can it beat Bama? I think I wrote a column early in the year, can it beat Bama? Can it beat Bama? That Ohio State team that played all four quarters, I don't know if it can beat Bama. That fourth quarter, Ohio State can beat Bama.
1: I think yes. <laughs> I can't remember what the question was. You think what? What can, was the question? Can they beat anyone in the country if they play like they played in the fourth quarter? I think the answer is yes. I, was, I don't know who I was talking to. You like think about a lot of the playoff contenders. And it's Alabama and so, like, Alabama and Notre Dame say in particular two teams that get by on running the ball. I don't know if you can run the ball and beat Ohio State. No, you can't run wide. I think you, yeah, I think you, like, I think you have to be what Clemson was last year to beat this defense, even this version of this defense that's not quite as good as it was last year. I think, like, ground and pound Ohio State to a win is not going to happen for anyone.
0: And the scariest thing is, like, crazy playmaking quarterback. There's not a Deshaun Watson out there. The guy who's out there is the guy who already beat them.
1: They played them. The two guys like that that they would have to worry about, they played them. It's, May- it's Mayfield and McSorley. I don't, uh, And they're not going to play Lamar Jackson. So, that I mean, they, they've seen it. So, yeah, and, 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 yeah, as much as we're always on Ohio State about needing to throw the
0: ball, um, a lot of those other teams don't have quarterbacks who zing it either. So, does, Tim, is that a national championship caliber fourth quarter? Yes, I mean, they're not going to play like that for 60 minutes because
2: no team plays like that for 60 minutes. But if they can get close to that effort for a consistent amount of game, yeah, they can beat anybody.
0: All right, what you got? Oh, I'm yawning now. It's late. We don't sleep very well during the season. <laughs> I fall asleep. Here's what I do. I have a futon in my basement, and it's, like, folded out flat on a stand. It's supposed to be propped up with, like, the... the thing that props it up is broken. So it's flat a lot. So I'll be in my basement, my big blue chair writing a story. I did this the other night, literally did this the other night. It was midnight. And then I was writing a story and I said, I'm going to take a one hour nap on the futon. And then I'm going to get back up and write. And I went over and I laid on the futon on my face and I woke up at 6am. And that's that story. And Landis fell
1: asleep at his computer this this week. Twice. Here's Twice. A... I averaged... Uh, you don't care about us complaining, but I averaged like uh, 4.5 hours of sleep per night this week. Nice. I, I sleep... I
2: value my sleep, importantly. I try and get eight hours as much as I can. Yeah.
1: And that must be nice. In yeah, some... we
0: value... I will do it by choice, Bielek. Yeah. I'm <laughs> I falling I on my face on a futon. Not by choice. I'm old. My body is breaking down. I
2: need sleep. Um, uh, I, got a, I got a question in... It was personal related. This is from at gnilly97. G-Nilly! Should KJ Hill play 75% of the snaps moving forward? And it kind of goes into our discussion that we were having earlier. What was the question I wasn't listening Should KJ Hill play 75% oh, yeah. of the snaps moving forward? It was... I'll, what I'll say first before we go to Mike, thoughts on KJ Hill. Wasn't it weird that he dropped that pass? Because we, we did a video in Nebraska a couple weeks ago saying KJ Hill the best hands on the team and he had he had a bad drop and then he almost fumbled on a punt return. He fumbled on a punt return before picking it back up.
1: Yeah. I've I've argued with Ari Wasserman a few times this year about Ohio State skill position players that I think they're better than he does. And my example is always how solid of a receiver KJ Hill is and I I said that to him again today and then like the next play is the play where he dropped the ball and he just looked at me. <laughs> yeah. I said that to KJ Hill's face post game and said <laughs>
0: You had the best hands on the team. You said you'd never dropped the ball before. What was up with dropping that pass? And I, I made him feel bad. I said, I'm not saying it to make you feel bad. I'm saying it to make the point of you guys made a million mistakes and still won. Um, he was like he couldn't. He was sort of beside himself that he uh, that he did that. Here's the thing about K.J. Hill and Paris Campbell. The things they do with K.J. Hill, I don't think they can do with Paris Campbell. They used K.J. Hill. Bill made a point. I can't remember if you said it in the press box or you said it in the podcast. They use KJ Hill as a receiver. Paris Campbell is best used as a bubble screen running back. But like the routes that KJ Hill runs and catches down the field, I just don't know that Paris Campbell is reliable enough catching the ball to throw him those same kind of plays and anticipate that he's going to catch a a ball 13 yards from the line of scrimmage.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. But there were uh, KJ Hill was not super dynamic with the ball in his hand, and I don't think anyone would say that. He had a couple catches today, maybe two where he caught the ball going across the middle, that I think if Paris Campbell caught it, would have been touchdowns. Yeah, yep. And they've just got to do a better job of getting Paris Campbell those balls, but I agree with that. The, Paris
0: Campbell, it's like, the question is a good one, and I think people are coming around. We called K.J. Hill the most underrated player on the team a couple weeks ago in a video. Mm-hmm. I think people have come around on K.J. Hill. They know what's up with him. But don't don't allow your respect for K.J. Hill to discount Paris Camp for Respect for K.J. Hill. Don't allow that to make you discount Paris Campbell. He's a good player. They have to do a better job of getting him the ball the right way. But I'm not sure there's any, there's not anybody else on this team that I would rather have catch a three yard crossing route at full speed. No question.
2: And those two complement each other so well at that HVAC spot. Campbell's so dynamic, but Hill is just Mr. Reliable. I mean, he's not going to do one thing. Like he's not a game breaker, but what you JT Barrett clearly trusts, I mean, I'm looking at the stats, 12 catches, 102 yards. Not like a high average, but you know when you get in the football, way more often than not, he's going to get it. And in the passing game, that's just as important as in the deep balls, just
0: making sure you have a reliable guy you can throw to. And by the way, DeMar McCall is just not going to play. He didn't play tonight when Paris Kimball was out and K.J. Hill was gassed. They played C.J. Saunders, the walk-on again. Um, So that's the thing, especially when the offense is moving and, and on the field a lot and playing with some tempo. You need two H backs, so you want Paris Campbell back. All right, what else we got?
2: Here's the one from Matt Nebley, and this is sort of a two part. We already touched on the first part. He asked, "Is JT a legitimate Heisman cannon? This one's more about us. Was this the best Ohio State game we've ever covered? Now I'm only on game number nine, game number eight, so I don't have much to compare it to. But you guys obviously had years more than me, so you guys could probably answer this better than I could. I thought the
1: game uh, at Illinois in 2015 was pretty awesome. No, I don't don't know. The Michigan game last year was so crazy. By the way, I don't know who I told this to. I don't think I told this to any of you guys, but I definitely said it out loud. I think I said it to Ryan Ginn, and I think I said it to Ari. And I said, I got in the car today, and it was snowing because it's October, and that's what it does in Ohio. I was driving over here, and I said... This feels like the 2016 Michigan game. And I think it was five hours before the game was going to start. I was right. Wow. That's crazy. Um, yeah, people like to, people are prisoners of the moment.
0: That was an unbelievable game. I mean, the Michigan game went double OT and had the same kind of Ohio State comeback. Um, the 2006 Ohio State-Michigan game when it was one versus two and was a really good game. Um, the 2005 Ohio State-Michigan game when Anthony Gonzalez went on the helicopter catch. Um, The very first game I ever covered was the second game of 2005 when Vince Young beat Ohio State in Ohio Stadium with like a pass in the last play of the game or whatever. Like, that was Vince Young. So uh, you cover this team long enough and you realize they play a lot. They play a lot of crappy games against bad opponents. And they also play some crazy, crazy, crazy games against some pretty good opponents. I mean, like, you know what was a crazy game was like... 2011 Wisconsin win. Like the Braxton Miller to Devin Smith thing
1: when they beat Russell Wilson. Last year's Wisconsin game was a crazy win.
0: Yeah. I mean, like the Wisconsin loss in 2010 when Wisconsin ran the opening kickoff back for a touchdown was a crazy game. Like The Sugar Bowl? The, the Sugar, you, Sugar Bowl was nuts. You know what was a crazy game? The Purdue win in 2012 that I just wrote a giant oral history about. <laughs> so um, I'm going to say no. My answer would be no because I am an old man who has seen many games. But that was unbelievable. But I, I would put even last year's Michigan Michigan game ahead of it. I think so.
1: And
2: I think we have time for one more because we're at forty six minutes already.
1: Do you have more there? Because all my questions are JT Heisman well, looki- kickoff and H back related. Uh, See, so do you have any like defensive questions?
0: Let me
2: look.
1: Did you look through my questions? I'm in Doug's questions. This is from at peak underscore
2: MJ He asks Jordan Fuller most underrated guy on our defense on the defense. Ooh. And was it, I can't remember, was it him that made that open field tackle on Saquon Barkley? I think might have been in the third quarter or something like that. Because Saquon got a pitch, from the shot, a pitch from the shotgun on third and three, and Jordan Fuller just made, I think... It was, oh, it was him. He blitzed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he blitzed, and he was right there, and he made a beautiful open field tackle. I mean, I talked... I I predicted, like, that Saquon Barkley is going to get 150, 170 yards rushing. Not even close. But that he's a guy that even if you do everything right, you can still fail.
1: That was an amazing play by Jordan Fuller to bring him Saquon Barkley. He's a good playmaker. Yeah, most underrated guy on the defense, probably. I mean, everyone else we think is good, we've known about for a while, and then there's questions about other guys. Yes, he's, he's, he's been, like, the most pleasant surprise, I guess, of the defense this year.
0: You know what I thought was a crazy sequence, talking about something different? Kendall Sheffield blitzes and nearly drops Barkley for safety. Mm -hmm. They're stuck back on the half-yard line, and the next play, they throw at Kendall Sheffield, and he misses an open field tackle instead of a... First of all, he gives up up the pass Mm -hmm. for like a 10-yard gain, and then he misses the tackle and turns it into like a 20-yard gain. And it was just like, oh, man, Kendall
1: Sheffield. I didn't come out of this game feeling all that much better about Ohio State's corner play if they could have two Denzel Wards,
0: should we talk for 10 seconds about the pick that turned into a touchdown? Have you ever seen that before where it's a do-or-die play and the review is it's either going to be a touchdown or an interception for a touchback? Well, last time that happened, I
2: think that's when the NFL officials got off their strike because that was the touchdown reception game, Green Bay-Seattle, I believe, was the yeah. same exact thing. Only this time they, I mean looking at the replay you can't tell you could not tell at full
1: speed that DeAndre Tompkins caught that ball and then at the end Denzel Ward wrestles it away i th- i thought real time ward caught it and yeah. then and then i thought it was very clear that it was a touchdown on replay i thought the same thing too and then you know it took like a look at the ball and
2: when you slow it down to probably tenths of a second hundredths of a second that Tompkins makes that play but the fact that Denzel Ward even made that contested and that
1: close not too bad. Respect to Denzel Ward, who we always talk about as kind of being little for ripping it away. You know what? He can hit, man. He leveled somebody on the sideline. Early. I don't, even, I don't remember who it was, but he, he's thumped a couple people this year for a guy who's that little. And he's incre- We didn't
0: get him after the game. I think he got out of there before they could grab him for interviews. Um, he had that play. He was upset that that went that way. He reacted on the sideline after the review. He put his head on his hands. You could tell. His hands on his head. You could tell he was upset. Anybody would be. Um, and the comeback with the block punt, that guy's going to be a player in the NFL. It was like, you know, we were sort of wondering last year well, they had Conley and Lattimore and they played Ward a lot. Is he really that good? Um, that guy can cover, and I do. He's a football player, man. And he's super fast. Like, again, he's like next level fast. But he's also very physical. He's not going to be a guy who's going to be afraid to tackle in the NFL. So we, this is nothing new. Scouts, there's always people are always tweeting about how much people love him. He's definitely going to be a first-round pick. I agree. All right. Is there anything else? Or are we done? It's almost uh, I think, that, think that's about it as far as
1: questions we've go. We've
0: steamed over. I think that's it. If we didn't get to your questions, uh, we apologize. Um, we did sort of have a theme. It was basically, as Bill said, Heisman, kick coverage, and uh, – HBAC questions, so we tried to hit those. Uh, We always do our Wednesday podcast. You can always send us a a question. It's probably best if you send the question on Twitter to at Buckeye Talk Pod, because our own Twitter feeds get scrambled with a lot of other things, people telling us how dumb we are, um, where the podcast feed is sort of an exclusive thing that we can just have questions there. So
1: at Buckeye Talk Pod on Twitter. People also um, DM me questions on Twitter, and I appreciate that. I'm just not gonna read them because I forget about them. So yeah, send them to that Buckeye Talk Pod. You have your open, you have open DMs. Open DMs, baby. What are open DMs like? What's that world like? Is it a little? Is it a little dangerous sometimes? A little dangerous? No, I don't. I don't think so. Um, I'm trying to like no. And you can, someone can send you one, and you can read it and then decide whether or not you want to accept it. I don't really know what that accomplishes. Um, but yeah, it's not like I haven't had people telling me I'm, I'm an idiot yet, even though there's been plenty of reason to do so. So appreciate that for you all for being nice.
0: I feel like that's kind of like,
1: uh, yeah, I couldn't go there. You, yeah, you, know, you. you yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm just not an open DMs kind of guy. Yeah. I do not want strangers sliding into my DMs. Is that okay? Can my DM just be for me and my friends? Is that too much to ask?
1: I think that's fine. It's good for covering recruiting.
0: Oh, okay. All right. He's Bill Landis. He's Tim Like I'm Doug Maurice, This is the Buckeye Talk podcast, sitting in a parking lot. Um, amazing thirty nine thirty eight amazing, 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 the kind of game people gonna be talking about for a very long time. Uh, literally changed the, the state of the Ohio State program because if, if you don't believe that, just wipe your brain and just think for the next five minutes, just think to yourself, Ohio State lost to Penn State. They made all those stinking mistakes. They gave up a stinking kickoff return for a touchdown on the first play of the game. Ugh, I can't believe they lost to Penn State. And then think about how that makes you feel about everything about Ohio State football. If while you're thinking that, you're able to just sort of like brush it off and say, well, teams lose. Good teams lose sometimes. Penn State's really good. They're a playoff team. They have the Heisman frontrunner. What are you going to do? Or do you feel like, oh, God, Ohio State can't win the big game anymore. Oh, my God. Just ask yourself that and think how close it was to being that. But the other thing is, we all picked Ohio State to win. Tim and I were very strong on the Ohio State's the better team thing. Bill thought that they were both very good teams. Settle that offense, baby. <laughs> um, is, did this, it's almost like it's crazy to say, but like win or lose. Just the way like offense and defense played, which is mostly what football is. You can't exclude special teams. and That was a huge blunder, but... Is Ohio State just the better team? Depth of talent, all the things we said, did this... Even if Ohio State had lost, would you have come away thinking, whatever it means, but across-the-board talent, Ohio State's the better team? Yeah. Yes. So I think that was true. I think we were right on that. I think if you were, like, super scared of Penn State, the reason you were scared of Penn State, you didn't say, oh, my gosh, I think Ohio State's going to lose. Well, the kick coverage, you knew. But, like, because Paris Campbell's going to fumble, and they're going to get a short field, and then, um, Bart, you know, like... There was some crazy stuff. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm worried about this game because I think Ohio State's going to have four false start penalties. You know, like, you were worried because you thought Penn State might be better than Ohio State, and they really weren't. Um, they probably should have won, but they really weren't better. Ohio State did a lot of really bad things, dumb things, wrong and survived. So, anyway, we'll have a lot of stuff this week. It's at Iowa next week. Uh, we'll talk to Urban on Monday. Uh, players in the middle of the week. Um... Yeah, a lot ahead. This this store this season is is much more interesting this way than it would have been the other way cuz you guys would have checked out, baby. We had 15 Dwayne Haskins stories loaded because you guys were going to check out and uh, be much more interested in the future than on uh, where, whether Ohio State was going to go to the Outback Bowl or the Chick-fil-A Bowl or whatever. So um, the march continues. They're in great shape for the national title race.
1: Were uh, thoughts of going to Disney World dancing in your head a little bit?
0: I mean, I got on this beat and said I just want to go to a bowl near Disney World at some point in my life, and they just decide to go to the BCS Bowl and the Playoff Bowls all the time. So it crossed my mind, but I can't control it. Um, it's either the Rose Bowl or Sugar Bowl if they're in the playoff. And uh, I go to Disney World on vacation anyway. But yes, it, it did cross my mind. Um, all right. Thanks for listening, guys. He's Bill Landis. I'm Doug Maurice, He's Tim Bielek. We're in a fogged up car. And that was Buckeye Talk.